and we would desire for you to turn with us in your Bibles to Psalm 46 for our Bible reading today. One, one, one of those precious psalms. Psalm 46, beginning with verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, will not we fear, though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, there is a river, the stream whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her, and that right early. The heathen raged, the kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice, the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord, what desolations he hath made in the earth. He maketh wars to cease unto the ends of the earth. He breaketh the bow and cutteth the spear in sunder. He burneth the chariot in the fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. Precious indeed is the word of God. Go with me in your Bibles to Luke's Gospel, chapter 23, beginning with verse 34. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. And the people stood beholding, and the rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he be Christ, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, saying, Come into him and offer him vinegar, and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And a superinstruction also was written over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew, This is the king of the Jews. And one of the male factors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. He said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Let us pray. Our Father, we come to that time we've looked forward to all week when we just stand behind this holy desk and preach thy precious word as you've laid upon our heart. And yet we come with fear and trembling for we know that in ourselves, our Father, we cannot do anything But you said, put me in remembrance and let us plead together. And therefore I put you in remembrance of our need of the Holy Spirit this morning. The Holy Spirit to fill us. That our tongue will be the 
tongue or a writer controlled by the spirit, our, our mind, our understanding. And that our Lord, you will give us a pure heart and clean hands to handle the holy things of God. but an ill-deserving, undeserving, hell-deserving sinner. Needing thy cleansing blood and thy delivering power this morning. And we put you in remembrance of this. And we plead together. I know that you're praying for me, for you said you were. Touch with the field of my infirmities. Praying for me. Praying for this people. And there's a need, Father, of hearing ears and seeing eyes this morning. There's a need for the Holy Spirit to work among each and every one of us, those who hear as I speak. There is the need for this word to be taken home to our hearts and for us not only to be hearers of it but doers also. And that this word will find a lodging place in our hearts and will not return to thee void but will accomplish that word until you said it. And so we wait before thee this morning asking for thy mercies. Oh, mercy, Lord. Mercy is what we need. And that's what we plead for. We thank you for sending each soul this way that you have. My Father, you've been so good to us. You've been so gracious to us. All these many years, You've been with us to lead us and guide us. And I praise you for it. Bless each father and mother, husband and wife, young person, boy and girl here this morning. Bless the homes from which they come. May thy mercies abound toward each and every home. May each heart, my Father, know what it means to rest in the arms of the Lord Jesus by faith. So do the work which only thou canst do among us this morning. One Christ's name we pray. Amen. Two Sundays ago, I preached on the fourth cry from the cross. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Last Lord's Day, the sixth cry from the cross, it is finished. And all week long, the second cry from the cross has been on my heart. Today, Thou shalt be with me in paradise. Answer to the dying thief's request. Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. So I'd like to look this morning by the grace of God, and you pray for us. Our Lord's glory in the salvation of the dying thief. I have searched the Word of God for decades. And in my own heart, I can truthfully say that I believe that the act of faith of this dying thief is the greatest act of faith. faith of you might disagree with me. I know there's others 
But it would be greater faith than Abraham believing God would give him a son in his old age. Or Abraham believing that God would give his son back to him when he was 40 years of age. When God told him to take him to Mount Moriah and kill him. And I know there's the faith, that singular faith of Rahab the harlot when she believed against everything. That the God of the Israelites wandering in the wilderness was the, the God of the universe. The God to be trusted. But I believe that to me this is a singular faith. A faith that should appeal to each and every one of us by the grace of God. And certainly we should follow in the footsteps of this thief. And because of all he had to go through... And yet we know that salvation is of the Lord from start to finish. God had to give him the faith, but that faith to believe that this one on that middle cross was indeed the Lord of glory. Will you listen? Will you pray for me? I don't know another time I have felt the need felt my helplessness and the need of the Holy Spirit taking the word home to our hearts that we may be blessed by it this morning. As I said, there is not another account given in Scripture of the salvation of a sinner that is more precious and blessed in the salvation of this dying thief in the hour of the hour of his death. And the word of salvation spoken by the divine Savior in the hour of his death, when he answered his prayer and forgave him. I know that all of these great truths are familiar to most of us, but I wonder if these great truths have been made a part of our life and faith has laid hold of the Lord Jesus Christ as as <clears throat> the faith of this dying thief laid hold of him. Would you picture the scene? I'm sure you have many a time. Three crosses. Two sinners. Two transgressors. Both condemned to die. And yet on the middle cross hung the eternal Son of God who became a sinner for sinners and was numbered among the transgressors and he was condemned not for his sins but for the sins of his people. If you've ever thought about it, the cross is the place of condemnation for this is where we come. We come to the cross of Christ and there to die. Die to self, die to the world, to die to sin. The Word of God tells us in Hebrews chapter 13, Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. We've got to go outside of the camp. We've got to go to Christ. That's where his blood was shed. And that's where we got to go by faith. Because that's the place of condemnation. And this is where sinners come. And this is where sinners die. This is where sinners deliver themselves up unto God to be saved by the grace of God. For coming to Calvary, coming to the cross, is coming to take our place like the thief. Because he, like the other transgressor on the other cross, was throwing it back into his face. If you be the Christ, save us. Deliver us from this death. And he, he was doing that for a time himself. But something happened. 
And the scripture says, And one of the male factors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God? Seeing thou art in the same condemnation, and we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. Here's a man taking his place as a lost sinner before God. Taking, his, taking the blame for his sins and not blaming God. And then he confesses that this man has done nothing amiss. He confesses and repents. And then he turns and cries, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. The answer was not long coming back. And Jesus said to him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. This is the place where we come to confess. This is the, this is the place we come to pour out our hearts to the living God. This is the place we come and lay our souls bare before Him. It is here that we meet God in repentance. It is here that we meet Christ in faith, believing Him and trusting Him and relying upon Him. And praise God, this is the place of forgiveness. The place where the Savior says to the sinner, Go and sin no more. Thy faith hath made thee whole. And here's the place of satisfaction. Or is it the cross? The sinner finds satisfaction in whom? In Christ. He's gone outside of himself. And he's gone to Christ. He knows and sees. And, and Christ knows and sees of the labors of his soul and is satisfied. Or as Isaiah 53 says, he shall see of the travail of his soul and be satisfied in bringing many sons into glory. After that long battle in Gethsemane, after that long battle of wrestling with his father, God the Father there in Gethsemane, pouring out his heart Bleeding, is sweating great drops of blood, an angel had to come and minister unto him. After having gone to Caiaphas' court, the Herod and Pilate, having been betrayed by everybody, now he's hung upon the tree. We should never forget Galatians 3, 13, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone that hangeth on the tree. And the only way the Lord Jesus Christ could be in a position for God to put our sins upon him and his wrath to fall upon him was to be put upon a tree and hung between heaven and earth. And the scripture fulfilled, cursed is everyone that hangeth on the tree. He allowed them to do it. He said, I lay down my life and no man taketh it from me. So there at that place he became that curse. He became that cursed one for the senseless people. When they were laid upon him, they in the garden and he, ro he, he, he went to Calvary's tree with them and became that cursed one. And there... They hung and drove the nails in his hands and his feet, having beaten his back, having put the crown of thorns upon his head, and having mocked him. But this is the hour for which he had waited from eternity. I would I could put it into words. I would I could put into words the love of the eternal God for his people. 
I would I could put into words the love of the eternal God for Leroy Shelton Jr. This poor soul, this poor sinner. I ponder it. I sit and I, I wonder about it. And I call upon his name and I wonder how could it ever be that he could ever die for me. Why would he pour out his life's blood for my sins? I haven't understood it yet. But I believe it. Praise God. And I know it's so. And I know that God has given me a new heart and a new nature. And a new he put a new spirit within me. I can't explain it except that faith has laid hold of Christ. And we keep one thing in mind as we go through this this morning. You listen. God intends to bless our hearts this morning. I come with the insurance of my soul. He's going to deal with our souls. I would like for you to ever keep in mind what faith is. Faith is a felt need. A man has to feel his need of deliverance from the power and penalty of sin. And this is the work of the Holy Spirit in conviction. Saving faith begins with a felt need. I need him. Second, Saving faith goes outside of self. For there's nothing here that it, in here that it can find to lay hold of. It has laid down its arms of rebellion against the living God. It has seen there's no good thing in him. There's not one work that he can bring to God that God will accept. He's nothing but an ill-deserving, undeserving, hell-deserving sinner. So therefore he cannot come to himself, so he has to go outside of himself. So faith is a felt need. Made up of... Then the soul must go outside of itself. Where does he go to? He hears the gospel story the good and great news of God's deliverance of poor sinners from their sins through the Christ in His blood. So faith goes to Christ. Faith lays hold of the Lord Jesus Christ and looks to Him only. Never forget that. A felt need of going outside of self and going to Christ. I really, I realize, I know this, that every phase of faith is a gift from God. For I would have never, I would have never wanted the living God to rule and reign over me. Never. Why? I hated it. I love sin. I want in my way. I'd rather walk in sin. I want in my pleasure. I didn't want to lay down my arms of rebellion against God. I want to walk in my own way. And so I know that it was God and God alone that gave us, gave me that felt need. But brother, I did what most do. I went to self. And I tried to palm off on God Everything on the sun. But I had no work that he would accept. I won. I was driven outside of self. And praise God, I was driven to Christ. Amen. Now I wanted to give you this verse of scripture in re reference to the statement I made. The time had come that the Lord Jesus Christ had waited for from all eternity. And Second Peter one nine 
backs that up by saying, Who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. So Christ knew his work. He knew the purpose for which he came. He had given himself in the everlasting covenant be the Redeemer of sinners. And the hour had come. Did he know that this poor sinner would be next to him when he was paying for the sins of his people? Sure he did. But I want you to look and see this precious soul. Our Lord Jesus Christ hangs there between the two thieves. All were condemned to die. And even the thieves were mocking him. But here's a man who came to the end of himself. And I'd like to show you how he came. Here was a man that had come to the end of himself. Where was he going to turn? He was really lost. He was helpless. His feet were nailed to the cross. He could not run. His hands were nailed to the cross. He could not work. He was a hated man, hated enemy of society, dying because of his own acts of violence against his fellow man. So they would have nothing to do with him. Do you see him? He was stripped naked before God, naked before man, with no covering for his body or his soul. As Isaiah said, the, blanket, the bed was too short and the blanket was too narrow. He had no covering. I never forget when God was dealing with my soul. I knew I when I when I when I walked in that auditorium, Salaam. I knew that every person in that audience knew what I was, what God had showed me. Naked. Where was I gonna hide? Where was he gonna hide? Where can you hide? The poor man had no church to hide in. He was a thief and a rob. He didn't want to go to a church, synagogue, or nothing. This poor man had no preacher, a personal soul winner, to comfort him in a profession and to bring him out on a profession. There was nobody to help him. Nobody to speak to a word to him. He had no religious experiences to fall back upon. He had no form of baptism. He could not fall back upon his circumcision as a Jew. That would do him no good in an hour like this. He had no money with which to barter with God or with man. He had no prayers. He had no duties to offer God. No man could help him. He was nothing but a poor, helpless sinner at the mercy of God. Can you see him? I see him there. I've been there. 
Help us. What am I going to do? What's he going to do? Well, if I had to, if I had to, had to preach on another text this morning, and this one didn't over, it didn't override this one, but if I would have had to preach on it, I would have preached on Romans five six because this has been in my heart all week. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Romans five six, no strength without strength. Christ died for the ungodly. Do you see? The crowd mocking him. Everywhere he turned, nobody was for him. All of his all of his disciples had left. He was undone without hope and without God. Where would he go? What would he do? He was a poor convicted sinner. He knew that this man had done nothing amiss. This is the beauty part about the faith that God gives. Faith doesn't rest upon sight. Faith doesn't rest upon feelings. Faith doesn't rest upon anything. Faith, true saving faith, rests upon Christ and His work, shedding of His blood. This poor soul had to go outside himself, had no arm of flesh to live to leave to lean on. He was cut off from all his workings. He was at the mercy of a sovereign God. But praise the Lord, this is where a sovereign God has been bringing him all the while. Because the work of the Holy Spirit was going on in his heart. And this is where the Holy Spirit brings us as He works in our hearts and changes our minds about sin and about death and about self and about heaven and hell and changes our mind about God. We begin to hate that which we loved, sin, and we begin to love that which we hated, holiness, because God has done a work of grace in our hearts. The Word of God said <clears throat> in Romans 10, I want you to, I want you to catch, I want you to get this thought. In Romans 10, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture said, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Romans 3.20 tells us that every, that every the law comes and does its work in our hearts to show us our sinnership for one reason, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. And, and the Lord had done its work in his heart because he had, he had walked along with the, <clears throat> with the crowd, he had walked along with, with the Lord Jesus and he had heard those women crying over him and the Lord Jesus turning to him, the women said, don't cry for me, cry for your daughters. Well, if they do this in a, green tree, what are they going to do in a dry? If they do it when the Son of, when the Son of God is here, what are they going to do when the Son of God is not here? He had seen that inscription across the top of his head, 
This is Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. You've got to go to all four Gospels to find the whole inscription above his, above his head written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. And it is this. This is Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Something happened. Grace had worked in his heart, for he had quit his <clears throat> railing upon the Lord Jesus Christ. He had shut his mouth. He had become guilty before God. And he looked at the other male factor and he says, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? What made the difference between the two? God had put his fear in this poor sinner's heart, and he feared God. The other man didn't. And the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. To hate sin. To hate self and the world. Lord, help us. I would I knew how to put this in would I knew how to preach what I feel in my soul this morning. For this poor soul, this poor soul at the cross was me. But even unto this day when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it the heart shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. And the veil had been taken away from this man's heart. And now he could see spiritually where he could not see before. For he said, this man has done nothing amiss. We're the ones that deserve the wrath of God. We're the ones that deserve to be punished forever and forever. But now he was calling upon the name of the Lord. He had the inscription. He had heard the first cry from the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He looked upon that man, nails in his hands and nails in his feet, crown of thorns upon his head and bleeding from the black, dying from the loss of blood. He looked at him. Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews, could this indeed be the Messiah? Could this indeed be the deliverer that God sent? Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And that was the word of God. And the thing that amazes me, and I'm sure others said it about me, how many times have we heard the gospel? How many times have we heard what I'm telling you this morning because you've Nothing new to you. But it's precious and new to me this morning. And we have the whole Bible. We have Christ from Genesis to Revelation. We have all the gracious promises of the invitation of God to come to Christ. We have all the stories of the blessings of the cleansing power of the blood of Christ. We have all the stories of the robe of righteousness that he wove for us on the on the loom of the cross and tested in the darkness of the tomb and adorned in the brightness of his resurrection. We've got the whole Bible. And this man had one verse of Scripture. This is Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Could it be?
could it be? If he's a king, he has a kingdom. If he has a kingdom, there are people in that kingdom. And I want to be a part of that kingdom. Could it be that he's the Messiah, the king of the Jews? But I tell you, all the difficulties that he had to come over are really something. This is, the, this is the reason why I believe this singular faith is the most precious faith, active faith in the whole Bible. <clears throat> For this man beho- beho- believed in Christ when he literally saw him dying the death of a murderer. Under circumstances of the greatest personal shame, naked. For him to ask Jesus to remember him when he came into his kingdom, though he saw that Jesus bleeding his life away, and hounded to death by all of these below him, and yet he yet he cried, Lord, ah, there's the key. He did recognize him as Lord. He did recognize him as God. He did recognize him as King. And if you really want to boil boil it all down, and I have many a time, The scripture that God used in my salvation is all I have. I have blotted ours as the cloud thy transgressions and as the cloud thy sins return unto me. For I have redeemed thee. All he had was this. Faith laid hold of him. He had brought it out as a thick cloud my transgressions and as a cloud my sins I could return unto him. For he had redeemed me. Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. For him to commit his everlasting soul into the destiny of the hands of one who had the appearance of our Lord at that time. To me is a great faith, faith. I say that the dying, dying thief should be in the front of the line of all saving faith. For what he saw of the circumstances of the Savior was calculated not to help him, but to go against him. Why should he believe that this was the eternal God of glory? But it was. So he cried, Lord. And when he cried, Lord, brethren, means he had laid down all the arms of his rebellion against God, he had hoisted the white flag of surrender, and there he was, willing to trust himself in the hands of this dying one whom he believed to be Lord. And he looked all around him. Judas had sold him out. Peter had denied him. All of his disciples had forsaken him. All the women had backed away from the cross. The holy women that came had backed away from the cross. Nobody could be found. There was no revival meeting going on. There was nobody preaching. There was nobody singing. There was nobody but this poor soul, a dying thief and a dying Savior. 
and he believed him. I praise God for that faith. I call that blessed faith. He didn't believe in annihilation. That death was going to end it all. He'd have been like the other thief. He'd have just hung there till he died. He didn't believe that we were die as the cattle die and that's the end of it. But he believed that he was going to die and go to hell without hope and without God if something didn't happen. So he said, Lord, remember me. When thou comest into thy kingdom. Something else. This poor soul was in extreme pain. You've got to go through it to believe it. Amen. How much physical pain is associated with the spiritual. Amen. There's a man sitting on the back row back there this morning and this preacher standing up here this morning can tell you all this. What pain is. And how much it interferes with the spiritual. And yet in the extremity of his pain, he said, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. You know what this tells me? This tells me that a precious soul can be saved by the grace of God under any circumstances in the world if he looks to Christ. If he looks to Christ, he can be saved under any circumstances. I know this. People look and said, "Well, he 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 was a eleventh <clears throat> hour sinner, sure, but God had mercy upon him." But don't take that as something to <clears throat> let you go on without repentance, because there was another thief there that didn't repent, and he went to hell. So you need to repent when. You need to repent now. You need to re you need to turn to the Lord now. You need to call upon Him now. But I don't feel all these things you talked about this morning. Feelings has nothing to do with it, brother. Coming to Christ, we come to Him as a sinner. Nothing at all. Jesus Christ is my all in all. I must come to him. I must fall at his feet. He was full of pain. Extreme pain. He was a, it was a crucified man trusting a crucified Christ. Also, the specialty of this man's faith was that he saw so much. The eyes that had now been opened by the grace of God in such a short time, he saw the future world because he saw that this man had a kingdom. So after death, after he died, he had a kingdom awaiting him. He saw, and his eyes were open to the truth that there was another world. He believed that after he died, he would be part of that kingdom if he laid hold of this man by faith. So he cried to him, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Lord, remember me. Lord, 
remember me. O oh Lord, remember me with his cry. O oh Lord, look upon me. Have mercy upon me. I've been in the Lord for over four decades. And to this very day, to this very day, I still cry. The same thing. Lord, remember me. Look upon me. Undertake for me. Cleanse me, Lord. Deliver me, Lord. Have mercy upon me, Lord. Wash me with your blood, Lord. I don't want sin. I don't want these thoughts that come into my mind. I just want you. I want holiness. And this is what he was crying. He wanted to be a part of that holy kingdom of God. Because this man has done nothing amiss. He must be the king of a holy, uh, a holy kingdom. He wanted to be a part of it. Do you talk to the Lord? Brother, I'm talking about weighty manners this morning. You have never dying soul. If you're outside of Christ, you're without hope. Young woman, if you do not know Christ, you're without hope. And look at what you have. If you don't know Him, you're without hope. You might be here an elderly person. And you've come this far, and you're still without Christ. You're without hope. But only in the Lord Jesus is there a hope. Come to him. Fall at his feet this morning and ask for mercy and grace in his eyes. Do you ever felt need? And go outside of yourself. Admit that you have nothing that you can bring to him. I made the statement so many times when I turn toward the mercy seat. I have not one penny I can plead that I've ever given. I have not one sermon that I can plead that I've ever preached. I have not one good deed that I've ever done that I can plead. When I turn toward the mercy seat and I turn toward Christ, I'm like that poor helpless thief on the cross. I'm turning to the only one who can have mercy upon me. And I turn to him empty-handed. And he's never failed. He's never sent me away empty. He's never sent me away without letting me know that I've been cleansed and washed in his precious blood. To come to him. I want to tell you all this morning. The only life worth living is the life that's in Christ. The only life worth living is that one which God gives us through his only precious son. The only life worth living is that one that's looking and waiting and longing for eternity because he knows that that Christ who hung upon that cross will soon die. He soon died. He was laid in the tomb for 72 hours, three days, and three nights. He rose. He went back to the right hand of the Father, ever living to make intercession for us within the veil. And he's there. 
the garment that the high priest had to wear into the most holy place once a year had a little bell and a pomegranate, one after the other, sewed on the bottom of his garment. And as he moved in that holy place, doing what he had to do on the Day of Atonement and speaking that blood upon the altar, those waiting outside could hear the bells. He's alive. He's alive. God accepted him. They offered him one more year. And beloved, when faith can hear the bells ring, as the high priest is within the veil, ever living to make intercession for us. Our hearts go out to him in love. Go out to him. And we desire to walk with him and commune with him from above the mercy seat. I'm not dealing in sentimentality this morning, brother. I'm dealing in facts. Because God did die. He died in the person of his son. He did walk upon this earth. He did hang upon a cross. Our sins were laid upon him. And he paid for them in full. And I know that that thief had a trial of faith through those three dark hours, because that was the fourth cry from the cross, and it was after he had got saved. The second cry from the cross, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. And he went through four, three hours of darkness, and I know that faith was tried. But there he was, when he came out of the... Prison of hell, after going to hell for us for three long hours, he heard him cry again, by thirst. And then he heard him cry, it is finished. And then he heard him cry, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. He was gone. In a few more hours, the thief Legs were broken, and it wasn't long before he went. And I don't have to tell you. You ought to know by now that the first person he saw when he walked into glory, into paradise, was the one he just saw hanging on the cross in all of his shame. He now saw him in all of his glory. And if his heart rejoiced and called him Lord when he saw him stripped naked and dying, if God had not given him a new body, he could not have stood it. There stood before him the very one he had trusted, the very one who took his sins away, the very one who had said to him, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. And brother, that's exactly what's going to happen to the soul when it dies or in the morning of the resurrection if we're still alive when he comes. We're going to see him as he is. Amen. I'll tell you one more time because a lot of new people here this morning, but in May 13th, 1995, the doctor gave me, we were in Naples, Florida, wife and I, for the rest. And I took a pain, with, I had a pain in my side that was out of this world, and I had to take six foot of my small intestines out. It was dead. The doctor told my wife, he won't live three hours. But we got to operate. But I don't believe he's coming off the table alive. And I talked to myself, and I said, Leroy, you got three hours to live. In three hours, you got to stand before your Maker. How are you going to stand there? 
And he came back to my soul so sweet and precious. I'll stand there only in the blood and righteousness in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I actually went into that operating room expecting to wake up in heaven. Here I am, six years later, but one day it'll happen, and I'll see him. The one in whom I laid all rebellion down at his feet in repentance and hoisted the white flag of surrender and called him Lord. You're mine. And he came so sweetly with his word to my soul. I have brought it out as a cloud, thy transgressions, and as a cloud, thy sins return to me, for I have redeemed thee. I've been rejoicing and praising my blessed Lord ever since then. Every day he should send me to hell. But have Christ. And I want you to have him. I prayed, I, I prayed all day yesterday and last night and the night, wee hours in the morning, Lord. Would it please thee that there'll be one soul there tomorrow whose heart you will deal with and they will call you, Lord. They will hear the word of salvation. And to the glory of God, they will fall on their face and cry after you and trust you. Are you here? I'm not going to give you an invitation to come to the front. <clears throat> you got to settle that between you and the Lord, what I'm asking you. Have you found him, Lord? Is he yours? Are you his? Can you say Christ in me, me, the hope of glory? Now I'm complete in him. what God laid upon my heart. I didn't know I would deliver it in the, in the way I did this morning. But I was all choked up and I knew if I <clears throat> tried to preach loud I would be in trouble. But all I've done is point you to Him. Will you look? And you who know Him Will you keep looking with that same God-given faith? And will you tell others about him? That they may cry, Lord, remember me. Remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D, M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T-6-L-3-T-5. 
You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.